You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Bob Odom, who serves in the pastoral team at LifeGate Church. You can find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Good morning. I'm glad today to be able to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. And we're in chapter 6 today. And uh, when Josh asked me several weeks ago if I would take this text, I didn't realize how much sleep it would cost me. Um, I have literally, just literally, laying awake at night and just been thinking about the radical nature of these words that Jesus proclaimed. And I know that we're going to see to even be able to hear properly or to put any of this at all into practice. So that's always true, but I don't know why. This time, I I would just literally, I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh my, (laughs) the power of this. So it's in Luke 6, beginning at 27 and reading through 36. Jesus speaking during, this is in the middle of a sermon that Jesus preached, Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Need I go on? (laughs) Listen. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus was taking his message to the masses, and they were masses. You remember we read uh, last week or in in some of the beginning times of this that there were crowds gathering. Josh uh, mentioned this last week in verse 17 of this chapter. He came down with him and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Crowds of people. Everybody's showing up wanting to hear, what is this preacher going to say? What does he say that actually will make any difference to us? So, and Josh led us through a study last week of the, what we sometimes call the Beatitudes, where they're, they're paired up in this, the way that Luke paired them up with blessed and woe. 
blessed, and woe. Gives, gives several of those, four I think, uh, blesseds and then four answering woes. And just Jesus presenting what we call the Beatitudes. Now, it was very clear in Jesus' message that the same thing that John the Baptist preached when he came was repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus preached the same gospel first. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. So the message that had already been proclaimed and made clear and would continue to be made clear is repent and believe. Believe who Jesus says that He is. Believe what He says. Have faith in Him and faith in what He says that He will do and what He says that He will be. So repent of your sins, turn from your sins, confess your sins, and believe. Now, having done that, then not that everybody who heard that did it, but just when Jesus is going on with His teaching and saying, when you come to that place of faith and repentance, here's what your life should begin to look like. And He teaches on discipleship. And He teaches on what, what a life of discipleship, a life of just growing obedience to this new kind of life would actually look like. And so here in the passage that we have today, it's just one part. All this sermon is going to go on and on about other parts. But right now, there's this part that we're looking at today. There's one part of that new life. If we belong to Jesus, here's one part of what that life looks like. And he describes something that is just a, the most radical view of love that we could even imagine. So what does that love look like? In the life of a disciple, in one who says, yes, Lord, I believe you, I receive you by faith, I repent of my sins, and I want to follow and be your disciple. Therefore, Jesus calls us to a radical love. So what does it look like? And he, and he tells us, first thing, is that it's, it's a very complete love. It's not the kind of love that's selective, that says, well, you're lovable and you're not. You're lovable and you're not. It's not that kind of thing. Uh, no, there's to be a complete love even for your enemies. And in case we didn't get it really clear, he said it twice in this one passage. 27, I say to you here, love your enemies. Okay, then verse 35, in case by the time we get to that point in the sermon we've forgotten, he says it again, love your enemies. Enemies? Who can do that? And that's what Jesus said. This is what that kind of love looks like. And not only that, he didn't use the kind of word that means have sort of a brotherly love for this person, and he didn't mean have toleration for this person or that person. He uses the word agape. The highest form of love possible. Love your enemies. All right, that means you desire their highest good. That does not mean that you'll, we're hoping that you'll have the most money, the most success, have the most prestige, be the greatest folks around. That's not what it means. It means to have the highest good. There is a higher good than just materialism. We all know that, don't we? Does everybody know that? There is a higher good than just materialism. Jesus was saying, love, even your enemies, desire their highest good. The kind of love that is actually benevolent towards someone. The kind of love that doesn't put forth terms of merit. Here's what you must do and then I'll love you. The kind of love that is unconditional. 
He describes it to us. We go on. The kind of love that Jesus not only talked about, but that He demonstrated with His life. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now listen, listen carefully to this. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Where do we see that more lived out than on the cross? When the Savior, who was, had a crown of thorns that pierced his skull, the Savior who had lacerations all over his body, the Savior who had wounds, nails driven through his hands and his feet, the Savior who was parched by his thirst, humiliated for everyone to see as he was hanging on the cross, that Savior did exactly what he was telling his disciples to do. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Pray for those who abuse you, yet lived out most fully on the cross by Jesus. He wasn't telling people to do something that he wasn't willing to do. This kind of love is a whole lot more than words. It just it, it gets lived out and demonstrated in our lives as well, even in hard circumstances. Jesus gave examples. Okay, specifically, what does it look like? And that's when he said some odd things. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Well, that's not real natural. Um, and I wonder, with so many of the Jews, uh, probably primarily Jews in his audience that day and hearing this sermon, one of the things they may have thought about was when a Jew in the synagogue rejected another one, they would just slap him as a sign of being rejected. And here were people who said, we want to follow Jesus the Messiah, but the Jewish leaders were saying, this man is not the Messiah. So they may have been experiencing the, this act of rejection. We won't do business with you. You no longer fit in the community. That slap, uh, any slap for any reason, would certainly communicate rejection. So, and Jesus was saying, don't resist rejection. There's something more important, a kind of love that supersedes whatever it may cost. The Jews, of course, were looking for a Savior that would be doing the slapping. Not, not saying, if somebody slaps you, turn your cheek. They wanted somebody who would come and just slap up those Romans who were bothering them. And here the one that they hoped, some of them hoped, might be the slapper. He says, no, that's not what I came to do. Don't resist that rejection, Jesus said. This is what love looks like. There's something more important than your rejection. It's loving the people who reject you. Then he went on to say, as if that wasn't enough. He, he went on and on. And if someone takes from you, be willing to give even more. There again, that's not natural. If somebody takes something of mine, I'd like to have it back, please. 
How are they to hear that? As disciples, be willing to risk even what you own. Be willing to risk if you suffer loss because someone is taken from you, you lose something of value. Be willing to risk coming back again. You mistreated, you took, I'm showing up again because there's something more important than my loss. It's that you see and that you know the power of the gospel. Jesus was saying, remember the context of this. You folks call yourselves my disciples. Here's what it's going to look like. It's a pretty radical picture. Let generosity be characteristic of your life. Don't be known as one who hoards and keeps and selfishly desires. Be one who generously gives. And that doesn't just involve resources. We're going to find following all this sermon throughout, there are lots of things that involves. Be generous with forgiveness. Be generous with, as he's going to come to at the end of this passage, with mercy. Be generous with your time. How about that good Samaritan who had to give his resources, his time, his effort in order to care for the guy that was left to die and that the holy folks walked right by and didn't even pay him any mind. But a Samaritan who was not well liked by the Jews nor the Jews by the Samaritans, the Samaritans stopped to help. There was something more important than what it cost. Generosity. Be generous in forgiveness and love and mercy and time and love, forgiveness, all of it, resources. Okay, this calling to love is remarkable and it's radical. And get this now, it will not happen by determination alone. It's not like we're going to get up tomorrow and say, okay, this week I'm going to walk in that radical love and I'm going to grit my teeth until I really live like that. Well, loving your enemy is just, actually, I think it's impossible on a human level. Doing good to those who in our eyes don't deserve it. Loving people who love us back is really not very hard, is it? What about loving people who just plain don't like you? Jesus helped them to understand what he was talking about by saying just that. What about doing good to those who do good to us? That's not a mark of grace, really. It's fairly easy to do good as a return favor to those who have done something good for us. Giving to others with, the, with no expectation of return requires something different from us. There's got to be some work of grace in our heart or we're just not going to go there. This is a pretty radical call. A call to love. A call to love that's not out of the context of reward. Because reward is talked about here in other places as well. Love does see reward. 
But it may not be in the way that we expect. It may not even be in this life. But our Heavenly Father rewards those who follow Him and respond to Him in obedience. Following as Jesus' disciple does have its rewards. Will have its rewards. But that's in the Father's hands. I think that's why Jesus said, I don't know how many times He said this to people when, when uh, they, somebody had done something good and everybody was thanking them or, being, or making much of them. He said, well, they've received their reward already. The world's standard of love should be surpassed and is surpassed by Jesus' standard of love. Jesus was saying that to his disciples. If you're going to follow me, here's a radical standard of love. Now, this kind of love produces what Jesus calls a kindness to the ungrateful and the evil. Here's one of the things I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about because I was just, when I think of the category, ungrateful and evil, I'm not in that category. I'm not in that category. I woke up in the middle of the night thinking, who else is this talking about but me? I'm the one who's been ungrateful. I'm the one who's walked in evil and has been saved by grace and brought to a new life in Christ and now expected not only to express that appreciation and worship to the Lord and be amazed by it, but to live that out in such a way that we offer that to those around us. Kindness. Did you get that? Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How do I know that He's really that? Because He's shown kindness to me. Doesn't it say in God's Word that God shows His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? We're the ones who've received. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that not the gospel? Is that not the good news that we share, that we have? Jesus loving us, giving us a kindness that we don't deserve. But how does pride respond to something like this? Doesn't pride really say, okay, there's this call to radical love, radical obedience, and generously loving others. There is that. But pride says that some just don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be loved. And they certainly don't deserve to be shown mercy. Why should those who are ungrateful and evil receive kindness and love? Well, why are we always not in that category? Do we consider ourselves to be deserving of the kindness and the goodness of God. But someone else is not. Does 
the Bible not say that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? I, I think I'm in the category of all. Does the Bible not say there is none righteous? In case we didn't get it. No, not one. We who have received love and generosity from God should be amazed and grateful and desiring more than anything to share that mercy, kindness, love with other people, those who do not yet know the grace of God. Jesus caps it off. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. I woke up in the middle of the night saying, just thinking about these verses, Lord, have mercy. Who can do this? And then I hear Jesus say, Disciple, have mercy. You be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I'm saying, Lord, have mercy. How is this possible? He's saying, Disciple, have mercy. Why? Because we've received mercy. Love. Why? Because we've received love. Because of what God has done for us, we stand in amazement of that. I love that old hymn, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain. All that, and the, the chorus, amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? If we have that kind of amazement toward God in the resulting worship, we're going to turn and we're going to see people around us as people that we too are called to love and to care for, and to share the most important message that we've ever known. Now, here's a caveat. Uh, I know that we could spend hours reading this text and we could say, but what about this? What about this? What about that? Uh, yeah. We're not going to do that today. We could be thinking about, well, if we're supposed to be that loving and that trusting and have that kind of relationship, why in the world do we have security teams out there? We could ask the question, if I'm supposed to live with that kind of generosity, why should I save any money or be frugal or anything like this? Give it all away. We could be saying, well, okay, this text says that, but, but we may be asking the question that, Jake has been asking and that they held a, a, a recent um, teaching on in Uganda where he says, when does our helping actually hurt? We could ask those things. We could spend hours and hours and hours talking about all of those kind of things and they're all good questions and all things that we could study. But this part of Jesus' sermon revealed something, I believe that we have a very, very real dependence upon our Savior. Not just initially when we come to Him in repentance and faith, but every day. We'll never be able to live like this without a total dependence upon our Savior. I'll never be able to do it. I cannot in myself love an enemy. I cannot live with that kind of generosity. I can't 
live like Jesus is. I think that's part of the point. We need a Savior, and we need a continuing dependence upon that Savior. We're going to celebrate in a few moments something that illustrates this beautifully in the Lord's Supper. We need the Savior. Why do we keep doing the Lord's Supper? Because it reminds us what Jesus gave, I need. What Jesus calls me to, I need Him. Or I'll just never be able to even go there. The elements of the Lord's Supper speak to us about the sacrificial life of Jesus. The giving of His body and His blood calling us to receive, to be amazed, to worship, to live out and share that gospel that has so changed our lives. Live in the light of that radical call to discipleship. Being a disciple means that we have a continuing dependence upon our Savior. Today, I need to get up every day I need to go to sleep every night. I need to think every moment that I'm thinking about anything. I need Jesus. I need to depend on Him. I'll never be able to live this life that He calls us to without that. But, we shouldn't go away today with the feeling, oh boy, this is an impossibility. We should be going away today thinking, look what Jesus brought and gave into our lives so that we could have the strength. We could have His Word. We could have His Spirit. We could have the church, encouragement of one another to actually live out this gospel. Disciples are called to a radical love that just won't be known or demonstrated in any way except by our real dependence on the Lord. And that's expressed in our day-to-day relationship. We have to constantly express that, Lord, you've called to this and it's not within me to do it. And his answer is, it is within me. It is within my power. And I give that to you. The suffering, the death of the Savior actually purchased something for us, our salvation and the discipleship to which He calls us. I want to give an object lesson today, and up front I'll say every object lesson, every parable, everything always has its limits. But would you think about this today? This is not hard-boiled. Our life is as fragile as this egg. We don't like to think about things like the wrath of God, but would there be any justice in God if He said, this is what I command you to do, but if you, you know, never mind. We'll sweep it under the rug. Don't worry about it. This is the whole point of the gospel. Jesus paid something that we owed. And that continuing payment 
It's what we depend on every moment of every day. And so Jesus took what we deserved. If this represented in any way the just, not mean, not arbitrary, the just wrath of God against sin, we would be crushed. The message of the gospel is this. Jesus died on the cross, taking for us the punishment that we deserve so that we could be preserved and walk in a new life with our Savior every day, listening to the words that we've just been reading and studying today and understanding, okay, Lord, you saved me. Now you make this possible for me to live today like a true disciple. We're dependent on it. It looks back, the prophecies that were made 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophecies that were made, there would come a Messiah who wouldn't be the slapper, who wouldn't be the one to slap Rome around and to deliver the Jews from their oppressors. He would be one, a Savior who delivers them and us from an oppressor that runs a whole lot deeper than a Roman, from the enemy of our souls, from our own lives. Jesus paid, purchased for us that kind of freedom. So what it says in Hebrews, he was despised. He, Jesus, was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and yet we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, pierced for our iniquities, crushed for our sins. By His wounds, we are healed. Somehow, in God's way of seeing things, it was the will of the Lord, Isaiah says, 800 years before Jesus, it was the will of the Lord to crush Him to turn him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Why? So that we could be not crushed by the wrath of God, but sheltered by the offering of Jesus. This radical love calls Jesus' disciples, Jesus' disciples, to follow Him in this kind of love and in this kind of mercy in our lives. And it demands of us 
what we started with, faith in Christ. Admitting our inability on our own to even approximate what he's called us to do and to be. And to depend on him, which demands relationship, moment by moment, day by day. Lord, I just depend on you. I need you. God, help me to love this person that in myself I just don't love. So Jesus said, I'm giving my body and my blood for you. And today when we take this, we are taking the sacrifice of our Savior and saying to Him, We're amazed by it. We're amazed that you would die for us. We're acknowledging that you purchased this for us. And we want every moment and every day to walk in that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You did not even spare Your own Son, but You gave Him up for us all. That we might know the joy of being forgiven, that we might know the joy of being saved for eternity, that we might know the joy of living today and tomorrow in our dependence upon You. Thank You for Your mercy. Would you help us to be people who live by that mercy? Lord, we thank you for these elements that represent for us the body and blood of Christ. We're amazed, Lord, at your sacrifice. We worship you because of it. And even in taking these elements, Lord, of of your supper, we are saying in a fresh way, We need you, Lord. We're dependent upon you so that we might love with that kind of radical love to which you've called us. Thank you for the example of that love and the giving of your life. We're grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.